Folks, for those of you who are truly walking with the Lord and understand, isn't that how He interacts with us? On a daily basis, moment by moment, as we go through life, the Lord uses His Word to prompt our behavior. He uses His Word to speak to us concerning situations and actions. Isn't that how He does it? Thanks for joining us for this weekend edition of Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, in today's message, you share why it's so important for us to behave in a godly manner in front of those who don't know Christ. You know, Dave, as true believers, we're being watched in this world. And and those who know us as Christians, they're waiting to see if we're going to behave in ways that are consistent to what we profess. And so when we behave in accordance with God's word, something amazing happens both in our lives and in the lives of those who are watching us. What is it that happens? Let's find out. Our text is Titus chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archived broadcasts, as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. And ultimately, in that situation, Jesus is rebuking him, saying, You don't believe that I'm God. Why do you call me good teacher? Because no one is good but God alone. And ultimately, you don't believe that I'm God. So, But from that passage, we see the main point, no one is good but God. That's our starting point for good works, right? Now, why do I bring this up? Obviously, because only true goodness comes from a good God. Indeed, in Scripture, we see that God is characterized by good works. He is characterized by good. He is characterized by good deeds. And we see his redeemed people in Scripture are good. And we also see that they are saved unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, or his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were dead in our trespasses and sins before, unable to do good. We are his new creation in Christ Jesus, created for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared the good works because he is good, and we walk into those good works. But what are good deeds from God's point of view? Well, first of all, again, we need to recognize for us that only truly good deeds and a zealousness for such stem from a relationship with Jesus Christ alone. Just back a few verses, I read it before in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself. Christ was given for us that he might redeem by back and purify, which is cleanse a people for his own possession. And then he says, zealous for good deeds. It is only the redeemed who are in Christ, abiding in Christ, who can truly do What is good? Those things that God has prepared before the foundation and has laid them forth for us to walk in. So then apart from truly being saved, there are no truly good deeds from God's point of view. 
Only God is good. And when one is separated from God, there is no true goodness because he is separated from a good God. And folks, nothing we do as a believer in the context of sin is good because God is not in it. There are no good deeds to be wrought apart from an abiding relationship with Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We are not adequate to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. Nothing we do apart from trusting and abiding in Christ is going to truly be good. But here in our passage, we have instruction that we can listen to, believe, and trust God to do through us. And I believe we're going to see, ultimately, these good deeds. Now, what is it that equips the believer for every good deed? 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, or literally deed, every good work. It is the Word of God that equips the believer who abides in Christ for every good deed that God has laid out before the foundation of the earth for us to walk into. It's God working through his word in the life of the submitted believer who is trusting Christ that produces good works. Now with this in mind, what are the good deeds which God has prepared? What are the specific good deeds? Let's take a look specifically at our passage again. Notice in our passage, in the middle of verse 1, it doesn't say to do every good deed. Remind them to do every good deed. It says, remind them to be ready to do ready for every good deed. And some of you might say, well, what's the difference here? And I believe the difference is huge because so many believers or so-called believers or make-believers are doing many good deeds and their deeds are scheduled out. They just decide to do it. They go do it. That's it. Ultimately, they are the Lord over their good deeds. But here, our passage says, remind them to be ready. The term ready carries the idea of being prepared being ready for every good deed. There is a preparation for the good deeds that God has called us to walk into. It's speaking of having a continual, habitual state of readiness or preparedness for every good deed. This ought to be the way we are thinking, that we are eagerly anticipating and ready to obey what God commands concerning every situation. We are eagerly ready and anticipating to obey what God says concerning every situation. Does this mean we're paralyzed and we never do anything? Because we're ready, but we never do anything? No. When we trust Christ, prepared by his word, stepping out in faith, his word at work, dwelling richly in our lives, when we are equipped for every good deed, then when the Lord bears forth the opportunity that he has ordained us to walk into, we are ready to do what he has called us to do based on what he has said in his word, and then he gets all the glory. Now, I could give a myriad of examples of good deeds that God has prepared, but they all have to do with obeying what he said in the context of our relationship with him. Therefore, be ready for every good deed, and to do that, we need to know the word of God and the God of the words. 
Again, it is when the Word of God dwells richly in our hearts, when we enter every situation God sovereignly allows in our lives, when we are equipped to respond in a way which is good, the way which God would have us respond. It is when God has set up the circumstances in advance for us, we need not hunt them out. We need to be obedient, trusting Him and doing what He said. Folks, for those of you who are truly walking with the Lord and understand, isn't that how He interacts with us? On a daily basis, moment by moment, as we go through life, the Lord uses his word to prompt our behavior. He uses his word to speak to us concerning situations and actions. Isn't that how he does it? By the power of his spirit so that we will respond rightly, bringing him glory, manifesting his goodness in our actions. Be ready for every good deed. Remind them. I'm reminding you, brothers and sisters. Are you ready? Do you know what God calls upon you and how to react in certain situations? Are you ready for every good deed? We're going to see some examples ultimately of this in a minute. Are you ready when you go out in the world for every good deed? Is the word dwelling richly? Are you prepared? Let me give you an example. Say you're at work and you're reviled and criticized. How do you respond? Are you ready for every good deed? The world apart from Christ is ready to revile back in the flesh. But what about us? Is the word dwelling richly in your hearts? So that at that moment, you were thinking about what Christ did? That he did not revile in return, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously? First Peter 2. Are you thinking about the fact that we are not to be returning evil for evil or insult for insult? First Peter 3, but giving a blessing instead? Are you remembering that the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer? Are you remembering that? That's being ready for every good deed. When God enables you through his word to respond righteously, bringing him glory. So then how do we behave in the midst of unbelievers? First of all, be ready for every good deed. But secondly, our scripture says that we should not speak evil of anyone. Let's go back to verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. And here's the first one besides authorities. To be ready for every good deed. Then secondly, to malign no one. Now remember, Paul is reminding Titus and these Christian believers and all of us to malign no one. Our last exhortation was concerning deeds. This exhortation is concerning words. Words and deeds. The word translated to malign here is blasphemeo. That's speaking injuriously. It can refer to slander, defaming or dishonoring someone's reputation, insulting or speaking evil. It is wicked, slanderous speech that is intended to injure, insult or dishonor. That's what maligning is. And Paul is telling us to not malign anyone, to not speak maliciously. Now we need to recognize Paul is not telling us not to speak. He's just saying don't speak maliciously. Malign no one. Folks, Scripture is clear that we believers are to be speaking truth in love. Scripture is clear we are to be admonishing one another, encouraging one another at all times. And at times we are to be reproving one another. And it's to be in the context of dependent, righteous behavior. It is not maligning someone to be obedient to the Lord, although it could be twisted that way by someone who is sinning. But here he says, malign no one. And folks, I think there are times when we are tempted to malign people who have hurt us. 
We're tempted to do that. Or Paul wouldn't say, remind them not to do this. We're tempted to say something that subtly injures their reputation or injures how someone might think about that person. We are tempted at times to malign people who have hurt us or who we perceive have hurt us. But we are to malign no one. We're tempted to malign unbelievers because of their unrighteous activities. We are to malign no one. Brothers and sisters, do you ever say anything that is intended to insult or dishonor anyone? Do you ever say anything that is intended to slander or injure someone? We are being reminded right now to malign no one. And the next time you're tempted, God's word should be manifest in your heart. And it should bring about, as you trust him, a righteous response, a good deed, rather than maligning them, giving a blessing instead, or giving grace to those who hear us. We'll see later. Folks, we see this, unfortunately, also in the church these days. So often when people become discontented or angry or irritated, they give Satan a place because of their unconfessed anger or irritation. They speak evil or wrongly or malign people that they might see as the reason for their anger. And folks, I need to remind you and remind ourselves here that God hates those who lie, bear false witness, and cause strife among brothers. I'm just going to read a familiar passage from Proverbs chapter 6. Let's turn there together just quickly. Proverbs chapter 6. And we're going to see these are the things that the world does. These are the things that fools do, but we're not to be like them. Right? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that's one, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies. There's blasphemous speech, right? And one who spreads strife among brothers. Now we have an example from Scripture on how Paul dealt with those who blasphemed in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 20, and I'll just read this for you, and you can look it up. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight. Here's the command so that you'll fight the good fight, Timothy. Keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck, in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme or malign. God's very serious about this. So serious, he will give someone over to Satan to be taught not to malign or blaspheme. Certainly we're not supposed to speak evil in the church. But what about the world? Brothers and sisters, we sometimes think as believers we have a past to malign those who don't know Christ because of their behavior. And I believe this passage is saying the exact opposite. Are you tempted to speak evil of those in your workplace? I'm not talking about speaking the truth at the right time. I'm talking about maligning them. We're commanded to malign no one. Are you tempted to speak evil of your relatives who are not saved? Are you tempted to malign them? We're to speak evil of no one. We are to malign no one. Folks, sometimes we expect the world to respond like Christians. And the point is they can't. They don't have Christ. They need Christ. 
We are to malign no one. When Paul was addressing sin in the Corinthian church, he said very clearly that we do judge those in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but we don't judge those in the world. God judges the world. I want to ask you, how are you doing? How's your speech in the midst of an unsaved world? How is it? We are to malign no one. How can we be ready for every good deed here ultimately? Hide these things in our heart. Remember when we're tempted to malign what God says here, and he will enable you, I believe, through his word, by the power of his spirit, to speak graciously. Okay, I understand how we're not to speak to non-believers in this context, but what should we and how should we speak to non-believers? What should our speech be characterized by? What should it be like? We'll turn just for a moment to Colossians chapter 4. We're not going to go into this in depth, but we'll just take a brief look at what Paul tells the Colossian church concerning their speech in relationship to outsiders. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how to respond to each person. Now, I don't have time to go through this, but I just want to point out a few things here. Paul is telling the Colossian believers here in this passage that they are to live lives or conduct their lives with wisdom. And we know from Scripture there are two types of wisdom from above and from below. Conduct your life in the context of God's wisdom from the Word, making the most of the opportunity, or that phrase, if you were with us in Colossians, was literally redeeming the time, buying back the time. You squandered the time when you weren't saved. You squandered the time around people. Buying it back, he says, let your speech always be with grace. You want to redeem the time? Let your speech always be with grace. Don't malign anybody. Seasoned, as it were, with salt. What's grace? It's it's the people you're talking to don't deserve the way you speak to them. They are unsaved. They are disobeying God. They're in sin. They don't deserve you to be kind. I'm not talking about addressing their sin in the context of the gospel, but they don't deserve that. They deserve God's wrath. But let your speech be seasoned with grace towards non-believers. Do we stand up with signs God hates so-and-so? Let it be seasoned with grace, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how to respond to each person. If your speech is gracious, then you're going to know how to respond to each person. Our speech is always to be salted with grace. What makes our speech different than those who don't know Christ? It should be absent of slander, and it should be flavored with grace. I will ask you, is your speech absent of slander and flavored with grace towards those who do not believe? So often our word is not seasoned with grace. We can be very ungracious towards those who are sinful. I'm not talking about addressing sin in the right context for the sake of sharing the gospel. I'm just talking about the fact we can be very ungracious to people who do not know Christ because of the way they behave around us. I've seen it in workplaces where people say, I'm a Christian, don't you dare use the Lord's name in vain around me. That's not gracious. That's not seasoned with grace. Give them grace. They don't know Christ. You might graciously say, you know, that it may be an opportunity to share the gospel. You know, you're sharing the name of the person I love the most. Be gracious. We need to stop judging the world with our speech. I'm not talking about sharing the gospel and addressing sin. We need to be gracious. 
Now, our speech is not only to be gracious to non-believers, or Dean's speech should be gracious for those who believe, too. Towards those who believe, Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as a word which is good for edification, that builds up. Now, sometimes there is rebuke and exhortation and those things which will build up but it's to be according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Believer, if you're maligning people, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Just confess it. If you have somebody you have maligned, I'd confess it to the Lord right now, and I would go to that person and tell them you're sorry, and I would go to the people that you have maligned them to and say, you know what, I'm sorry. Do gracious words of truth fall from your lips in the midst of those who do not know Christ? To malign no one. I hope so. I'm reminding you today to malign no one. I'm reminding myself. We need to be reminded, right? Psalmist writes in Psalm 141, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. God, sovereignly guard my speech. Okay. So first of all, be ready for every good deed. Secondly, we're not to speak evil against anyone. And now third, I believe, we're not to contend, but forbear, showing consideration or gentleness towards all men. Back to Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And here we have the last of the three things in our to-be's here. We had three to-be's. To be ready, to malign no one, and then here, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now we need to recognize that The verb to be is in a present tense. Continually, habitually, we are to be this way. And he gives two modifiers from that. We are to be two things, and in the context of those two things, we are to be showing this gentleness or consideration for all men. To be, first of all, uncontentious. The term in Greek is a machos. A being a negation. Machos or mache, speaking of a physical fight or a contest fought with weapons. It was used figuratively in Scripture of speaking of strife, disputes, and quarrels. We are to be uncontentious. This word contention is used in Scripture in some very familiar verses. James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of your quarrels and your mache, your conflicts? Among you. What's the source? Is not the source the pleasures or desires that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder, and you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. 
Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, for that person who's acted badly in front of a non-believer, what should they do? You know, Dave, if someone has behaved in a way that hurts or dishonors or maligns another person, the most important thing to do is, first of all, confess to the Lord, and, and then, if possible, go to those in whom you've sinned against and apologize. Humble yourself. Uh, go back to them and, and ask for their forgiveness. You know, that act of true, genuine humility in the context of trusting Christ might open a door for them to see Christ's character in you. We should be ready for every good deed. And, and in those times when we fail, we need to, by God's power and strength, ask for forgiveness in humility and trust and pray that the Lord will be honored by our obedience. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.